Hey, welcome to the 1505 Club. Unfortunately for me, I'm old enough to remember when people would go door-to-door -door selling items, particularly vacuum cleaners. Think about what it would take to go door-to-door -door and face that much rejection. Well, it shouldn't be a surprise that the personal growth and development industry was born out of this difficult profession. Names like Ogmandino, Jim Rohn, and Zig Ziglar. In fact, Zig Ziglar got his start going door-to-door -door selling pots and pans. A lot of the wisdom they shared is just as valuable today as it was back then. I couldn't help but think that it's somewhat surprising to me that the chiropractic profession never picked up on this genre to carry the mantle. With names like Fred Barge, Reggie Gold, and Ian Grossom, so I thought we'd take a look at some valuable lessons from these often forgotten salesmen. I once had an employee who asked me how to build her business. I told her, that's simple. Work on building yourself. I could tell she didn't immediately understand, so I elaborated. I told her, when you put a fish inside of a fish tank, that fish can only grow as big as the tank will allow. In the same way, you're the lid on your business, and it will only grow as big as your skills will allow. In the famous book, Good to Great, Jim, Jim Collins looks at the comparison between good companies and great companies. One of the most obvious contrasts is the difference in the people who lead them. One day, I'll do a deep dive into the DISC profile, but for now, we'll keep it simple. There are four basic profiles. There's actually 16, but that's what I mean by keeping it simple. The four basic ones are dominant, influential, steadfast, and conscientious. What Jim Collins found was that there are many leaders slash CEOs who are the dominant type. They're often seen as take charge kind of people who know what needs to be done and how you should do it. In most cases, these CEOs want everyone to know their name and they're not okay with living in obscurity. It turns out that by and large, these CEOs tend to create good businesses that never become great businesses. What's more devastating is that if these CEOs don't run the business into the ground, which they sometimes do, the business will most certainly fail as soon as they step down. The reason why this happens is because the dominant CEOs propel the business forward with sheer force, something deep personalities are known for in every area of life. Instead of building business systems, that will continue to move the business forward long after they're gone. The great CEOs are humble in that sense that they try to build a business that wouldn't even know if they were gone. They do this by building systems that not only embody competence, but they also embody character. Horst Schultze did this with the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. If you worked there, you were going to follow his system. His system would cause you to communicate character, even if you didn't have any. Over time, his system would cause you to develop character, and that would benefit you for the rest of your life. Zig Ziglar said, Ability can take you to the top, but it takes character to keep you there. Zig Ziglar also said, You are what you are, and you are where you are, because of what has gone into your mind. You change what you are, and you change where you are, by changing what goes into your mind. Jim Rohn said, Don't wish it was easier. Wish you were better. Don't wish for fewer problems, wish for more skills. Don't wish for less challenge, wish for more wisdom. That's especially true for us. Jim Rohn summed up the whole leadership thing best when he said, The challenge of leadership is to be strong, but not rude. Be kind, but not weak. Be bold, 
but not bully. Be thoughtful, but not lazy. Be humble, but not timid. Be proud, but not arrogant. Have humor, but without folly. Another great concept that came out of this genre was stated by Zig Ziglar when he said, aim for excellence, not perfection. I've told this story before, even though I heard it secondhand, it had a big impact on me. It's about Jim Cook, the founder of Boston Beer Company, makers of Sam Adams beers. He said that if you want to be successful and you want to scale, then you need to aim for 80%. He said that last 20% is the most expensive and most of your customers can't tell the difference anyway. He went on to say that he had many young entrepreneurs tell him that they were going to make a better beer than him and put him out of business. Today, they're all gone and he's still here. He knew that if they wanted to beat him, they didn't need a better beer. They needed a better business. They got it all wrong. So many young chiropractors aim for perfection and get frustrated when they can't even get close. You don't need perfection. You just need to be excellent. The problem with perfection is that it puts too much pressure on you and almost guarantees failure at some point. In psychology, there's something called the Yerkes-Dodson Law. This law states that there's an ideal level of arousal necessary to perform a given task. In other words, it's just as detrimental to have too little pressure as it is to have too much pressure. You can think about this chiropractically in many different contexts. In school, you practice with your friends with very little pressure and very little productivity. Then you take an exam and you crack under the pressure and learn just as little. In practice, you try to develop your skills, but there's no real pressure to do so. Then you have a really sick patient and you crack under the pressure yet again. Too often we fluctuate between too little and too much pressure, but we rarely find or create that sweet spot of just the right amount. The play Death of a Salesman was first produced in 1948 and it won many awards. The gist of the play is a salesman who realizes that his life in sales has amounted to virtually nothing. He loses the respect of his children and it ends with his suicide. The underlying theme of the play is basically anti-capitalism. Capitalism is neither good nor evil. It's merely a tool. And like any tool, it's all about how you use it. I was doing some econ research and found that while many of us believe that governments should prevent monopolies, it turns out that historical evidence shows that monopolies are only formed with the help of the government. Today we see a world filled with monopolies, certainly more than I've ever seen in any other time in my life. This is the work of governments to create this, the same governments that will tell you capitalism is evil and monopolies are the proof. In contrast to this was this culture of personal growth and development that we've been talking about. They weren't naive to the fact that the government was stacking the cards against them, and neither should we be. But they recognized that to succeed beyond that limitation would require character. Now, not everybody believes this, and that's where you find the rub. It's absolutely possible to find tremendous success by cheating the system and capitalizing on a total lack of character. And there are certainly people who do that. The thing is, those people are never able to build a legacy. But then again, maybe that's not important to them. Maybe they just want money, and maybe they just want it right now. Dr. Gonstead built a legacy, and he did it with several high-character practices. One of those, which I know is controversial, was his practice of having the patient pay per visit and not putting them on payment plans or anything like that. As we learned at the last meeting of the minds from Steve Agos, the concept of multiple visits, meaning three times a week for four weeks and so on, was actually introduced very early on in chiropractic, much earlier than I had ever imagined. This means that Dr. Gonstead was actually bucking the system 
with his method of going visit to visit. Dr. Gosted also bragged that he never spent so much as a postage stamp to acquire a patient. I think this is interesting, and I recently had this conversation with Patrick Ryan and Parker Adams, because I feel like there's a connection between these two things. I've been studying the dynamics of these two approaches, and I've been asking doctors in both systems if what I'm seeing is consistent with their experience. At this point, it seems to me that going visit to visit is the best method if you want to work by referral, but doing prepayment plans is best if you want your marketing to bring in your patients. I think that both groups would argue that their patients are more committed, so I rule that out as a reason to use either method. We all know that Dr. Gonstead worked by referral. I've always worked by referral, and that's the method I prefer to teach. To quickly tell you why I think the visit-by-visit -visit method is essential for working by referral, nobody ever makes a referral to their favorite prison or kidnapper. I'm not trying to be mean, but that's how a lot of patients see it when you get them tied down to prepaying their visits. Even if they know that they need the care, they're hesitant to refer anyone else into it. On the other hand, when you go visit to visit and don't pressure people, you unlock the potential for referrals, sometimes massive numbers of them. Honestly, I'm not trying to demean either system, as I talked to one person who does plans, and he said he absolutely does not want referrals. Recognizing that different people have different practice styles in different cities with different patient populations, what's right for you and your office is something only you can decide. But I do think there's a value in understanding the dynamics of how this works so you position yourself in line with your vision and desire and don't end up accidentally working against yourself. There's nothing more frustrating than working against your own best intentions. Several years ago, there was a John Maxwell lesson that was unlike any other. Many years before, the Super Bowl winning coach Dick Vermeil had given John Maxwell a copy of his coach's handbook. The value of this was the fact that Dick Vermeil coached three different teams, and he had a reputation for taking weak teams and getting them to the playoffs by their third year, and he even won a Super Bowl with the Rams in his third year with them. Obviously, Coach Vermeil had a different way of coaching that predictably brought people to a higher level. John Maxwell refused to publish it until Coach Vermeil had retired for good. I used the version that John Maxwell eventually published to create the handbook for my team when I was the head coach of a high school football team. One thing I can tell you about that handbook was that the major premise has to do with accountability. The biggest area of accountability was that he didn't want his coaches expecting more of their players than they did of themselves. It also included statements like, what you allow, you encourage, and what you punish, you discourage. It seems so simple, but think about things in your life, in your office, that you don't like. Are you allowing them or punishing them? The purpose of the handbook is to build character. Not once does it say anything about actual football skill. Of course, these were professional football players, so it was assumed that they came to the field with skill. This handbook had a huge impact on me and my life, as I read it many times over, to really try to embody the principles it was teaching. The reason I titled this episode, Death of a Salesman, is because I know that there are many, like me, who never wanted to sell chiropractic. My way out of that was to work by referral, and that's what I've done for years. I know it's not for everyone, but if you're interested in working by referral, let me give you just a little bit to get started. The first question people always ask is, how do you get started, or in business lingo, lead generation? Building a referral-only practice is entirely about relationships. As Zig Ziglar famously said, you can have everything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want. The trick to building a referral-only practice is to focus on helping other people. I know that sounds obvious, but I mean helping people even, and especially, 
when it goes against your own self-interest. A great book for understanding this concept is High Trust Selling by Todd Duncan. He tells the story about helping people who were not his clients to have them unexpectedly send him referrals. I still remember the lady who asked for advice from me, and I gave it to her. She wasn't a patient, but she referred me at least five different patients. I saw her later and asked her why. She said that I had helped her even though there was nothing in it for me, and she thought that anyone with that much character was worth taking a risk on and sending her friend. Working by referral is relationship-based and character-based. In essence, you're selling yourself. So you need to be a product worth selling and worth buying and worth referring. I think a lot of people get confused when they hear Zig Ziglar say that you can have everything you want if you help enough other people get what they want. He isn't saying that you should help yourself by helping other people, but I think that's what a lot of people hear. What he's really saying is that if you will focus on helping other people, you won't have to worry about taking care of yourself. It will just happen naturally. This means you don't have to keep score or worry about whether or not you're getting what you deserve or what's fair or what you're owed. You just have to show up every day and help other people. The success of your day is determined by how many people you helped and how much you helped them. It isn't determined by how much you got for yourself. The problem is that not everybody has character, and what's even worse, not everybody wants to develop it. When I started my practice many years ago, I didn't know how to get patients. Then I realized that very thought was too focused on me and my needs. So, at my mother's urging, I sat down with a bunch of cards and envelopes, and I wrote personal letters to all the people who had influenced me as I was growing up. I thanked them for their unique part in helping me to become the person I was and helping me to be in the position I was in. I couldn't tell you which of those people sent me referrals or how many they sent, but I did start getting patience, and whatever referrals I started with turned into more referrals as time went by. Most importantly, I never had to be the salesman I never wanted to be, but I simply explained chiropractic with passion and enthusiasm, and the referrals kept coming in. As I've shared before, the key to a referral practice is competence, character, and consistency. It also requires that you produce a product worth talking about. That means you must do more than meet expectations, you must exceed them. That means you have to know what's expected first. This method of practice isn't for everyone, and not everyone wants to do the self-development work that's required to get there, especially if that means building character by eliminating the inconsistencies in your life. However, if you do choose this route, it will enable you to build a practice the same way that Dr. Gonstead did, and it will most certainly lead to the death of a salesman. Well, I hope you found this helpful today. I knew the first time that I did a spinal screening in college that I never wanted to do that again a single day in my life. Working by referral was an easy decision for me to make, so I began with that idea in mind, knowing that I did not want to be a chiropractic salesman. As a side note, when I was a student, I received a phone call one day. We didn't have cell phones back then, so it was a call on my apartment phone, and I didn't have caller ID either. It was a nice lady who explained that her son was a recent graduate and had just started his practice. She wanted to know if I was interested in becoming one of his first patients. I let her know that I was a chiropractic student and I had no need of his services. When I hung up the phone, I was horrified and even embarrassed for him. I thought right then, this will not be my future, and I began building a plan to create a referral-based business. My mom never had to cold call anyone to get me a patient. That doesn't mean there weren't difficulties getting started, but that's a story for another day. Thank you for joining me today. As always, I hope you have the very best week possible, and I'll see you again next time.